My name is Jesse Bradley, and I'm originally from Minnesota. I went to college at Dartmouth. Uh, my degree was in psychology, but I really didn't want to become a professional counselor. I always wanted to play professional sports. I was able to play as a goalkeeper in America, Scotland, and Zimbabwe. Then, uh, extremely sick, tragic, and it changed my career. So now I'm a pastor in Seattle. I'm married. We have four children and three boys, one girl. We also have a dog named Bella, and we just acquired a hamster named Kiwi. That's the latest addition to our family. Nice. Well, Jesse, Jesse and I met, I believe, through Clubhouse. This is probably my first podcast I'm doing with someone that I actually met through that new social media platform. And for those, this is not a plug for Clubhouse, but I've been loving it so far. It's authentic conversations with people. And uh, I just live in the podcast rooms of Clubhouse. So, Jesse, it's great to finally get this chance to actually sit down sort of face to face. I'm a little nervous when I talk to someone who studied psychology, because now I feel like, you know, <laughs> you're going to be, I'll be interviewing you, but you're really interviewing me through this whole thing. I can feel Yeah, it. that's right. And at the end of the podcast, I'll give you four or five things about yourself you probably didn't know. Yeah, I'll go home and, you know, talk about all the ways that my parents screwed up my life. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's a quote on your website that I love, and this really is for me, sort of the gist of where I envision this conversation going, but Again, like all the conversations we have in life, whether they're recorded or not, the best ones are the authentic ones that just kind of naturally evolve. So I'm going to start with this quote, just get your response to it, and we'll go from there. It says, I believe good things come out of the worst and most traumatic situations in life. And then you write after that, how have you, or have you found this to be true? But before that question, so you believe that good things come out of the worst and most tragic situations and traumatic situations. Talk about why that's such an important phrase or quote for you and um, some of the worst and most traumatic situations I'm sure we'll get into, but I want to talk more about the education and the learning that has come out of those. Yeah, I would say there's two sides to that coin. And the first side is the trauma is real and the pain is real and the dark days are real. And I wouldn't want to belittle any of those or shrink those. And in fact, in my own journey, grieving isn't something that comes naturally. I personally and also come from a family where we persevere. We just try to learn and improve and we try harder, and we don't always stop and grieve or mourn, uh, enter into some of the sadness and process that. I certainly, in my uh, most difficult days, that was a new kind of way to cope and a new way to walk through the pain. So I, I just want to not quickly move into all the benefits and the redemptive right. side of it, but to say that uh, part of our journey here in life is the unexpected trials that don't announce that they're coming. They're not politely knocking on our door. They're just like a storm that uh, sometimes, you know, for me, I was fighting for my life or the two people in my life are closest to growing up, my parents, you know, suddenly the divorce is, is happening. And I could share other examples, but I, I just want to say with compassion, I sincerely care for anyone listening today. And you might feel like you're on the brink or things are over your head. And where's the hope? And that's, that kind of leads to the second part of it for me, which is looking back, I would say that I learned the most in life in the valleys, and it wasn't on the mountains. And also, uh, that's where there was the most transformation in my life. And that's also really where the best things have come in my life, too. On a number of different kind of defining moments in my life, uh, it was really at the low points where hope and that redeeming started to happen and grow. And, and I also want to say for anyone today that feels like life is out of control and the future, there's a lot of uncertainty. Maybe there's a lot of loss. 
and you're just wondering, can, can anything good come out of this? My answer is a very strong yes. And my life was rebuilt after it was really shattered. So that, that's a quick response yeah. to the quote, but I, I think both are real. And, and I think that the pieces, and I call it grace, an undeserved gift, uh, the grace that flows out of those trials is greater than even the pain and the suffering. So when you were in some of those darkest times in your life, um, it's, it's easy, not easy, it's easier for me personally, and I hear from other people too, that once we've been through the challenge, and you alluded to that already, it's, it's easier to look back at it and go, wow, look at what I learned. You know, the challenge of, of job loss, I look back and think, wow, look at all the great things that came from the fact that I wasn't in that job anymore. By the time I got at home, we all look at COVID right now. I think that it's really hard to use the word blessing and COVID at the same time because of all the death and the job loss and the horrific things that are happening. But the family time that people are getting together and the, and the, the meals with our spouses and the time with our kids and stuff, that's all real as well. And that's all really great. Go back to one of those trials, pick, pick a trial. I mean, you can just go through and, and flip through the note cards. You know, seven years old, your parents are divorcing. Um, you're a young athlete with the world in front of you. And now you've got this, this nearly tragic, tragic, potentially fatal disease. Talk to the person who's in it right now. And mm -hmm. just what got you through? I mean, you're seven when your parents were getting a divorce. I know that's young, um, right. but still it's real. Or, yeah. or the fatal, near fatal disease, whatever. Talk to that individual who's in it now who just can't see that light that we can see yeah. once we get through it. Yeah, I would say the scariest experience was when I was in Africa and I took a prescribed medication every week to prevent malaria. And after a season of playing soccer there as a goalkeeper, my body started to shut down. All the different side effects started to kick in. And I noticed right away I had migraine headaches and I never have headaches. I'm just one of those people that never has them. And the migraine headache so intense that any noise, any light was too much for me. And I thought, what in the world's going on? And then sweats and chills and double vision and rapid heartbeat. Uh, my heart started to beat 160 beats a minute, just sitting still, tachycardia, atrial flutter is another abnormality, skipping beats, heart murmur, pain in the left side of my chest. And not only that, but crazy dreams. I started to have uh, waves of depression would just hit that I've never experienced before, panic attacks. It's like a really bad drug overdose. And I was in Zimbabwe and the doctors there didn't know what to do, but they saw my condition declining rapidly. And so they sent me home. And I came home without answers. And I came home knowing that, you know, I'm no longer going to be playing soccer overseas. And I didn't know if I'd ever recover. And we had to pay out of pocket to go to a doctor at Stanford, who was the first one who said this could be side effects of the drug. And I, I knew at that point it was. Sometimes, you know, and if you're in a situation where you really, I believe God's given you an intuition, and I had to listen to my body and pay attention to it. And the doctors all said that I should continue to take the drug for another month because I could still get malaria on top of this, but I knew inside it was the drug. And so I resisted what the doctor said. And then we had the blood, my blood sent to center of disease control and they confirmed toxic levels of the drug. And then it was really a year of fighting for my life with all those symptoms and the 10 year recovery. So this was not a situation that was gonna quickly turn around. There were not a lot of answers. And it, it rocked me at so many levels. As an athlete, I feel like I've got control of my body. You know, as someone that's pretty emotionally kind of an equilibrium, I felt like that was gone. And I, and I just wondered, like, am, am I ever going to be in my right mind again? Am I ever going to have physical health and strength again? 
And uh, that's a scary spot to be in. Am I going to live? You know, I was back in my parents' basement. I never thought I'd move in with my parents. <laughs> they go. had a little baby monitor to check. You know, how am I doing at night? Like, what do I need? Is there an emergency? What's going on? And that's about a most humbling spot I could have entered in with, um, you know, the things I had my identity attached to were achievement, soccer, health, you know, education, career, finances. And it felt like literally all that was just gone. And there was no way that I could just get it back on my own strength. No doctor could get it back for me. And so it was a very helpless feeling. And maybe uh, some people are listening, feel overwhelmed financially, or there's a relationship that feels out of control, or maybe it's a health situation. And a couple of things started to help me. Uh, one was starting to thank, uh, be thankful every day, 10 things. I literally listed them because I was so focused on what I don't have anymore yeah. that that consumed me. And I had to shift and say, what do I still have? What am I thankful for? I also started to chart progress. And it's important to keep track of. I think different areas of provision or blessings where uh, I charted how long I could walk. And then after many months, I could look back because it felt like I wasn't making progress. And I could look back and say, no, actually, look, at I can walk 10 more minutes than I could four months ago. And uh, another thing for me that started to happen is that my coping mechanism in the past was just perseverance and, and strength and trying harder. But that wasn't going to get me through this. This was like an elephant too big. Uh, hmm. Where do I even start with this one? And uh, I, I started to learn how to pray. And, and in that prayer, pour out my heart. Now, just a little bit of my spiritual journey. I um, didn't grow up in a Christian family. I didn't grow up reading the Bible. I didn't know about Jesus. So I went to college at Dartmouth. And I took an introduction to world religions. And the professor assigned this Gospel of John and many other different texts. And uh, the professor, you know, didn't necessarily believe in the Bible, but I read this book that was new to me. And I ended up, you know, putting my trust in Jesus, which was pretty radical. Our family, Baskin Robbins, mm -hmm. 31 Flavors, we have uh, mm -hmm. some in our family are atheists, some are Jewish, rabbi, agnostic, ex-Catholic, a couple uh, Catholic people, and just a wide range. And yet I discovered something in Jesus that um, dissatisfied me in the deepest part of life where I just couldn't figure out um, where to search in this world uh, for that. So uh, I realize there's a lot of listeners with different backgrounds. I'm just sure. sharing my story. I think it's great if we share each other's stories or, or share our stories kind of freely. But uh, all that to say, um, it, it stretched me in a spiritual way and in my soul and in a way of releasing burdens. Instead of me trying to control it all and carry all of the pain um, I was able to release some things. And that was just totally new to me. And I didn't know how to even do that, but I just knew I couldn't carry it anymore. So uh, those are, you know, a couple pieces sure. for me, just charting progress, being thankful, and then learning how to kind of get rid of some of those burdens we're not intended to carry. And, uh, and I just felt like I was being crushed by, by the trauma and the loss and uh, that started to give me some hope. Those, ha I believe habits are transformative. Habits are life-giving. And we can always choose which habits uh, we want in, in our day. And uh, sometimes that's the place to start when something's so big. So that, that's a little longer yeah, answer. No, I Ed, love it. But... I love it. I, I'm, I'm a very visual person. I, I hear words and I put a picture to it. It's a, it's a, it's a blessing in many, many times. And it's also very much a curse at times too. I'll, somebody will say something and I get disgusted by it because I'm seeing it. But in this case, I'm not. I'm actually very encouraged. I like a, a lot of everything you said I love, but I'm going to focus in on a couple of things that, that it brought up for me. 
I love the charting your progress part. That's huge to be able to look back. And it's like, it's the adage you, you mentioned, you alluded to the elephant. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Yeah. You can't eat the whole elephant at once. You chart your progress. I write in a gratitude journal every morning and it starts with three things I'm grateful for. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just things I, I have gratitude for right now. I get to talk to Jesse today. That's one of the things I wrote this morning. Mm. You know, yesterday, one of the things I wrote was that my wife and I had a great vacation. We just got back from a week in Palm Springs. Nice. Tomorrow, it might be, you know, a couple of days ago was my mom's birthday. She passed away four years ago. The whole mm. entry was about her and gratitude for lessons I learned there. Yes. I also like the imagery of, and you didn't say this, but I thought about it. If you walk into a dark room and you just light a lighter or light a match, the room lights up. Yeah. So when you're in your darkest time, and this is where I get to play Jesse for a second and be the guy being interviewed. Right. For me, in the darkest times in my life, if I could just think about, and I can think, I can go back to one very, very dark time in my life, and I won't mm -hmm. go there now, mm -hmm. maybe in another conversation, recorded or not, but I was as depressed as I've ever been. And yeah. I kept thinking about all the different relationships in my life, and they made me more depressed. I felt like yeah. I was letting people down. But I thought about my brother and how great of a friendship we're seven years apart but we've always been really close i have two brothers but mm -hmm. at, at that particular time the brother who's seven years older than i am was the one who saved me and he lived six or seven hundred miles away but the thought of him and the happiness that i have in that relationship literally saved my life wow and so for me just holding on to what is it that what's the one thing that i'm so grateful for that is just the best thing in my life so yeah. Well, that weren't your words. That's what I, that's what I interpreted from what you said. So find the things yeah. that you're grateful for, list them out, whether it's people or things or your, or your new hamster or your dog or right. whatever the case may be. So no, that, that's really awesome. So, yeah, I love that about your brother. Relationships are so powerful. And, you know, if someone's really down in a pit, even hundreds of miles away, you can still reach out to them and there's an influence there. And of course we're more connected now through zoom and other things. Yeah. Uh, but, but I love that of your story. I'd love for you to unpack more of that sometime yeah. too. Well, and it was uh, before social media and texting and even cell phones. So the only time I talked to him is if he came into town or we called each other and he lived in Northern California. I yeah. was, and still am in Southern California. Yeah. The from the heart podcast is presented by orange Kiwi consulting. The three most challenging transitions owners face, scale, sale, and succession, often result in a costly and confusing journey, but it doesn't have to be that way. Orange Kiwi helps their clients succeed where others fail by navigating the challenges others can't. Find out how Orange Kiwi helps you avoid the costly and confusing journey to realize the results you're looking for with less stress and more satisfaction. Visit their website, orangekiwiLLC.com. Choose Contact Us. Enter the promo code HLG2020 for a complimentary 30-minute consultation. Lots of people take, is it larium? Yeah, so, that's right. Malaria. Most yeah. don't react the way you did, obviously, or that drug would be no longer. Why Did you ever find out why that affected you? Why that particular drug affected you the way it did? It's a great question. There was, for a while, Larium Action USA, and they were gathering all the different stories, all the different people have been affected, and there were far more people affected than I think was realized. And the drug was controversial, and it's very difficult, even sometimes when you're trying to uh, share it with, you know, it's a pharmaceutical company, or not everyone believes that there's a connection there. So you really 
have to take those steps to get your blood measured and then chart the side effects. And, and when you're going through a lot of trauma, I don't know, for me, I tend to be someone who just forgives freely. And, you know, I, I wasn't so much that I was motivated to like really make sure there's justice here and so forth. But instead, what I've tried to do over the years is just uh, share with people to be aware of side effects of medications, because even though if they're well-intentioned, you know, it's still something that can be so damaging. And I think a theme out of that is the irony that sometimes what's supposed to protect you in life mm. can actually even be killing you. Right. And I mean, sadly, there's people who have had parents, let's say, and the parent role is one of protection and provision. But if a parent is harsh and negative or abusive, it's, it's crushing, you know, and how do you walk through that? So uh, for me, I would say that, um, you know, it, it could be something with me genetically uh, and, and I've got kind of an interesting mixture in my background there. So uh, it, it's hard to say the exact reason why, but I would say that overall, it's increased my awareness that when you take a medication, just keep listening to your body, talking to your physician as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting. You talk about how things that are supposed to protect us and take care of us don't. And then you went to, to parents. I think about stories I've heard, and I know you and your role as a pastor know this as well. Can you share stories that you've heard during this COVID pandemic that we're in? Um, I don't mean share stories that are hard, but there are a lot of hard stories out there. A lot of kids not going to school who are in bad home situations, spouses not going to work who are in bad home situations and can't get out. Give, give those folks some encouragement for a moment, if you could. Yeah, definitely. Ed, when we started, you talked about, you know, having time together as a family. I would say before COVID, our family sat down for maybe one or two meals a week. Yeah. And now, I mean, every night, it's like, that's what we do. Friday nights, we eat, we watch like we're a family movie together. We're 50s again, like we saw on TV. Dad comes home and everybody's having dinner together. And yeah. Yes. It, it's a bonding that happens over that table when you listen to each other's stories and you ask what's going well, what's challenging. And uh, that's something that was an unexpected blessing. I think a lot of the greatest blessings in life are kind of unexpected and, and you make the best of some situations and you even realize, you know, what started to emerge in, in those challenges. Another one for me is uh, there's a man who works, you know, at a school is part of the facilities team there. And he works 40 hours a week full time, but he saw how many people don't have food and how many people are struggling financially. And we worked together and during COVID, you know, brought over 8 million pounds of food. I mean, he's, he's literally just loving his city and then gathering more people and a team and have distributed over 8 million pounds of food during this pandemic. And I, I love that proactive, let's take step up, find solutions. And if you have a desire to help people, there's so many resources and it'll just start to grow and other people will join you. So I'd encourage someone who's listening. I think a lot of times the burdens that weigh on us the most, in other words, the things that we wake up thinking about, the things that we shed tears over, those are the areas of passion where we need to take a step and become part of the solution, a part of the healing. And I think they're linked. That word passion, sometimes mm -hmm. we just think of it as emotion, but really it's so devoted to a cause that you're willing to put in your time and energy and even suffer for that cause. And uh, there's a lot of passions that run deep. And when you see a need, sometimes, you know, that passion is going to be stirred. For me, you know, seeing the statistics on divorce, separation, tension in marriage during COVID, uh, we made a 
videos and, and we did many videos They're They're on my website, jessebradley.org is the site. We made them free. So we didn't want to monetize it. Just wanted to, to be a resource for couples to watch those videos and then have some discussion questions and process and grow and support one another. Because when situations are challenging around us, we can either, you know, draw close to the people uh, with us and our family or, and kind of serve them and connect and unite, or we bring out our worst and we're harshest or we're um, mean, or we drive away or we take it out on the people around us. And marriages, there's a lot of, um, division in marriage right now that instead we want restoration. And so that that's my hope is that at home, I mean, we've got so much time at home these yeah. days. It's where you live, work, learn, and play. It seems like it's yeah, all everything. right there. My wife and I were working out together today in the living room, you know, and it's like, okay, everything's at home. Our, our health clubs still aren't open. And, uh, and so at home, make that a place where you say, what's ideal? What could be vibrant at home? Uh, what, what do we just kind of dream about? And COVID can't take that stuff away. So uh, let's be intentional. And so those are some examples mm -hmm. of some real good things that I've seen uh, during COVID, both personally and in the area where I live here in Seattle. Yeah, I saw a cartoon early on in all of this where the man looks at his wife and says, now remind me, honey, am I working at home or am I living at work? I can't remember which it is. <laughs> the answer is yes, we are. Right. It's so true. Yeah, and we're on our yeah. phone so much. It's like one's a personal one and the next one's work oh, for know. a lot of people. And it's like the lines are getting blurry. Yeah. There's no eight to five anymore. I'm fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing a lot of part-time stuff to try to earn a little bit of money, extra, extra money to buy this house and just to, you know, stay on top of things and so forth. And, and, uh, it seems like, you know, and I'm not poor me always working. I love it. I love work. Work is yeah. like my favorite thing to do, especially when I get to do it at home. Cause when I'm done here, I get to go downstairs and have a cup of coffee with my wife, you know, yes. or hang out with the grandkids or what have you. That's right. Very top of your website. So strengthen your marriage in 30 days. I was going to go there later in the conversation, but because you already went there a little bit, let's just stay there for a second. You asked me before we recorded, who is the audience? Um, and you asked me more in detail than that, not just, Hey Ed, who's your audience? But I mean, you know, it's everybody. I mean, there's a lot of different people in a lot of different wakes or walks of life at this point, but I do know because I've talked to some people who listen that there are a lot of people. And I also know this, even if I didn't talk to people, cause I read, you know, mm -hmm. and I pay attention That's that right. more than half the people here listening today or watching today are going through a marriage or a relationship battle. And I'm not saying that because I know the names of the people I'm saying that cause I know the data. Yeah. And I know that that's probably very God and Jesus focused because of who you are, your pastor. And I know certainly a lot of just put God first and read the Bible together and pray. And those are great answers and they are, but can you talk to that person who maybe doesn't have that in their life and how they can strengthen their marriage as well, whether it's 30 days or whatever the time frame is. Yeah. You know, Ed, you mentioned my parents and for me growing up, there was a lot of tension in the household. There was fighting. It was, it was not a household of peace. And then my parents got divorced when I was seven. And I don't know the pain personally of going through a divorce, but I know how much that affected me, how deeply for so many years in different situations. And I know that when husband and wife are not getting along well, it uh, is something that's one of the deepest and most painful experiences. And, and that includes, you know, for husband and wife and also for the kids. And that, you know, sometimes it's the pain that really um, drives us towards a desire to help people. And if you've tasted 
a certain pain, you know what that's like, and you just want to make a difference. And so that that's been my heart, you know, as a pastor, I'm able to bring some premarital counseling, I'm able to counsel with couples, I've seen a lot of couples say we're done, we're, we're going to get a divorce. But then uh, there's a turnaround. And, and, you know, what is what are the key elements in a marriage? What are the key skills? What's the heart condition? And there's some different components. Uh, one of them is communication. You know, another one's conflict resolution. And, uh, and then there's practical stuff, like who's doing how much work? You know, there's unspoken expectations. That's huge in marriage. Uh, in marriage, there's an emotional connection, an ability to enter in. And, and then also, I believe there's a spiritual part to marriage. It's marriage is the most intimate relationship that we have. And it is emotional, it's relational, relational. it's also um, intellectual, it's physical, and I believe it's spiritual too. And I think in the spiritual realm, uh, there's a lot of help there. And, and, you know, I realize that some people are more open in that, some are less open or interested, and there's a range. But I found that... Um, and, and you can look at a lot of research, too, uh, the difference prayer can make in, in a marriage. Uh, but also, when you think about what's the foundation of the marriage, and I think the foundation is love and commitment. And sometimes we run out. And, and I believe that when there's another source that's greater, then, uh, you know, that love, that source, even when I don't feel like loving someone, I can still receive love. And then I have love to give because you can't give what you don't have. Yeah. And receiving is really, I believe with, with God, it's not like we're striving and performing and trying to check boxes and be good enough. I believe it's a relationship we first receive. And then that overflows into all of our other relationships. And, and so that's, that's another uh, piece, I think, that's important uh, in marriage. And so that's where with the videos, we just try to cover a lot of different practical topics. And you could watch we have 30 videos, you know, maybe only four or five even mention God. So uh, mm -hmm. there's really a wide range of topics. But yeah. for a lot of people, they grew up seeing a picture of marriage in their home. And for some who saw healthy marriages, that's tremendous. I mean, what an advantage. But for a lot of people, we didn't grow up with that. And right. so how do you kind of learn that? And, and what does it look like to live that out together? So well, I'll uh, tell you also, as one who grew up in a home with, a, with parents who had that terrific marriage, my mom and dad my mom passed four years ago and they were heading towards their 70th wedding anniversary. Mm. And while I would never trade my upbringing with two loving parents who had a great loving home for, for example, what you went through with your parents when you were so young, the, the, the dark lining for a minute, it's not a term we use. We always say silver lining. The dark lining for me was they made it look so easy. Yeah. When I got married, I thought marriage was easy. Uh-huh. And right. I didn't ever learn from anybody around me, whether there was divorce around me or not. I didn't have any, I had one friend, I think, whose parents were divorced when I was a kid mm. and he's a great friend. I thought it yeah. was really strange that I'd come over and there's no dad around. I just was really weird. Mm. Now, unfortunately, I look at my kids and I look at my peer group yeah. and it's almost strange as almost the opposite. Now, wow, your parents are together. It's right. not quite that extreme. One yeah. thing that, that I, as I went through your materials a little bit and, and heard you talk on another YouTube or another podcast and, and did my, my research, my due diligence. You're thorough. Yeah. I th yeah. A little bit. Um, I think, and, and it got me thinking about when my relationship with my wife, we're coming up on 30 years married and we're, we're happy. We have our issues. Every marriage does. But what we, what we do have is that we're always 
excited about something. There's always something to look forward to. And I think that in a new relationship, it's exciting. I get to go see her for, you know, I haven't seen her for a few days or him, or we're going to go away for the weekend, or we're going to go to a whatever for the weekend, or we're going to do whatever on Friday night. Mm -hmm. I think what happens a lot is people get so stagnant and just don't have anything really that they're looking forward to that they can find in the bounds of the marriage. Yeah. And that's not right. that I'm trying to give any advice here because that's not my role, but what works for me in my marriage and what I've seen in others is that there's always something fun and exciting to look forward to with each other. That's great. And um, because when that, when that dies out, man, it's tough. Right. Right. Those shared experiences. What are those hobbies? Maybe it's exercise, maybe it's travel, mm -hmm. but lifelong learner. And what can uh, we do together? What are we learning? What's, what's a calendar look like? And what are we looking forward to? I love it that you're intentional and create some of that. We love to play golf together. We played golf together four times last week out in Palm Springs. And it's just, and we can't wait to, we're looking at the dates when we can go again. We'd have gone yesterday, but it was too windy down here. Excellent. But, uh, yeah, we're always looking forward to something like that. That's so good. Ed, you know, I think I would add to that forgiveness is so important in marriage. Definitely. And uh, even with my parents and their divorce, the most difficult person for me to forgive was my dad because he was the one, you know, who left and moved to another state and just wasn't around mm -hmm. for my, my childhood very much. And again, going back to my faith, it wasn't until I knew I was forgiven by God, by grace, that then I was able to forgive my dad. Yeah. And when you've received forgiveness, again, you want to forgive everyone. And in marriage, it just, if there's resentment, bitterness, it can be subtle, but it's there. If you harbor that, you go back to that, that is so damaging to a marriage. And so there's got to be a lot of grace. There's got to be a lot of forgiveness. A good marriage is two people who forgive each other really well. Yeah, yeah. And, and then if, as you're forgiven too, it's like, don't just receive that forgiveness, but say, okay, that's going to motivate me to change. I don't want to stay the same. And, uh, and to go back to say, okay, what's ideal in our marriage? Because that's where there's commonalities. Uh, there might be disagreements about how we're doing some things, but the commonality is we both want a strong marriage and we both have those same virtues and values. And if you come back to those and how do we treat each other when we first met, you know, and, and sometimes we're more kind to strangers than we are to our spouse. It's like, let's come back to being civil and kind. Let's commit to being kind. Let's look at our ideals and how do we get there together? And uh, there's a lot of restoration that can yeah. happen. And we have marriage. two choices in everything. Literally in everything we face in life, we have two choices. We can hold on to it mm -hmm. or we can let go of it. Yeah. And so we can hold on to that pain and that bitterness and, oh, I can't believe she said this or I can't believe he does that. Or we can just let it go yeah. and hold on to the things that matter the most. Man, I can't believe she actually stopped what she was doing and came up and brought me that or she called me in the middle of the day in the middle of her busy time or he took the time to stop and pick up my favorite dinner on the way home you know just mm -hmm. hold on to those things and let go of the, the garbage that just doesn't i mean it matters but it doesn't matter so much that i'm always blown away and i i was married and divorced and now been remarried for almost 30 years so i've been through yep. that yep um, and i've seen it around me in in my own family with siblings and so forth too yeah. But I'm always amazed that two people that can't live without each other to the point where they want to get married, get to a point where they can't live with each other. And I just wonder, gosh, what happened? Yeah. That's well, it's a tough one. That's right. That's right. And uh, I, I think it's one of the most encouraging things when couples say, okay, we're going to stay committed to each other. Now, what do we need to apologize for? What do we need to change? What help? There's no shame in getting a counselor, yeah. Christian counselor, or any kind of counselor. You know, it's going to yeah. be a, a, an outside person too. And uh, yeah, it's exciting when when you see couples in love and rediscovering that love. 
there's love and respect. I uh, put those two together a lot yeah. of times, uh, but, but that's awesome to see that. Well, love has to come up in my podcast because my last name's Hart. So, you know, how can it not, yes. right? That's but, it. Uh, That's it. All right. So talking about a different kind of love now, we could go relationships, but I can hear the radio dials turning off as we keep talking about marriage. So let's bring yeah. it back. Not that that's, <laughs> not that that's a bad thing, but, you know, we it's a wonderful thing. And, and there are right. times when the whole podcast will be about that. And I hope you and I can do that. Um, talk about soccer. Talk about sports. You played three sports in high school growing up. You wanted to be a basketball player. You turned out to be a professional, you know, an Ivy League champion, two-time goalkeeper in 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 soccer. Mm -hmm. Parlayed that into a career. Yeah. Um, obviously, there are lessons and there's mentality that got you there. Tell us about your just when I word associate the word soccer and throw that at right. you. Just yeah, take us you where know, that I'll, takes us. A love for the game. I. When I was three years old, I grew up at the University of Minnesota campus, and I would go with my parents to the Golden Gophers. That was the, uh, yeah, the mascot, Minnesota, not the yeah. toughest sounding mascot. Yeah, exactly. I told my parents right then, this is what I want to do when I grow up. And soccer was a sport where I had the most potential. Basketball was really my favorite sport. So uh, to play, you know, NBA, I'd either have to be incredibly quick or incredibly tall. Mm. And I, I didn't measure up there. So <laughs> soccer was a sport where I knew I could keep playing you know, beyond college. And I was a goalkeeper. You have to be a little crazy to be a goalkeeper and I'll own that. And, uh, it was so much fun, you know, sports for me were kind of an escape in, in some ways, uh, were just pure joy and love the teammates, the games, the competition, the season, even the training. When, when you really love something, you know, no one has to wake you up in the morning and say, Oh, go practice that. And, you know, don't you want to improve a little bit there? You know, I would be all the time, whether it's the weight room or out in the field or working on my craft, working on my skills. And it's something that, uh, you know, I have four kids and I think one of them has that around sports, but the other three don't, and I'm not going to push them towards right. that. And, uh, with sports, I still look back and, the relationships, you know, so many years later, I'm still, you know, this morning, I was sending off an email to an old coach and some teammates. Yeah. And that's what continues. I forget some of the details. I don't forget all the bad goals I've let in. I try to yeah, forget you, those. They motivate you. Yeah, that's right. And, and, but those relationships are golden. And uh, as you're going through sports, you just get to meet so many different people. Every city I've been in i continue to play and i'll meet people from many nations through through soccer you know it's just number one sport so many countries yeah. and the friendships keep growing so uh, there was a point though where sports became too big a part of my life and and by that i mean there's just a ceiling on how much time and energy uh, you can really invest and how much satisfaction something can bring to you. And there were times where I tried to make sport even bigger than it was. And it, it isn't healthy and it yeah. ended up putting a lot of pressure on me. And so I, it ended up when, when goalkeeping turns into pressure and a little bit of perfectionism and, you know, you know, when you're losing that joy and, and I call it an idol in life, you know, you kind of, it's becomes your number one and it shouldn't be your number one. And then when you bring it back down to where it should be, it's like, okay, this is so much better. This is what it's designed to yeah. be. So um, like you mentioned, you enjoy work and I do too. And, and just to keep it in its proper place, but enjoy it to the full. And, and I definitely, I enjoyed sport uh, as long as I could, could play it competitively, professionally. It, it was incredible. Hello, my name is John Royce Lynch, founder and CEO of PCMA Private Client. As a former professional surfer and native of Southern California, I've always enjoyed Wahoo's Fish Tacos. 
When the pandemic hit, the response by Wahoos was unparalleled, creating the California Love Drop by supporting frontline workers and those in need. On behalf of the PCMA private client community and our amazing team, it is an honor to be able to support this noble effort. To lend a hand and to learn more, please visit californialovedrop.org. What would your life look like today if you didn't get sick when you're in Zimbabwe? Goalkeepers can play till they're about 40. So mm -hmm. I think I would have probably had a long career. And, you know, that's something I still kind of mourn. I, I feel like mm -hmm. there's 10 years of kind of com competition inside of me that just <laughs> never really got to live it out. So, so how do you scratch that itch now? You said you still play and it's one thing to play recreational and another to play competitive. I know because I've, I've never been professional as an athlete. Yeah. I was a professional baseball general manager. Yeah. You know, I watched the game and it's different, you know, I love being in it every day. That's um, right. How do you scratch that itch? How do you, what, how, what would you tell somebody that doesn't just for physical reasons or mental or illness or what have you just doesn't get to do what they were passionate about anymore? Yeah, that's a great question. And you have so much experience with sport on different levels too. I would say that uh, some of the things I really enjoy, I still really enjoy playing for a team. I get to put on a uniform and there's a game and a schedule. We play in sometimes in a big stadium. Now the stadium's empty, but in my mind it's full, you know, yeah, and, exactly. uh, and, and it's still fun to play, but it's different. And then I enjoy going on runs with my wife and there's different ways, you know, exercise is still uh, fulfilling in many ways. And for my wife and I, we just were raising money for kids without clean water through world vision. And mm. we love training that half marathon and doing that together. So I enjoy that. Sometimes I'll be able to, uh, work with athletes and, and I worked, you know, as a college pastor worked with a lot of guys that played in the NFL or, you know, just different situations where I'll speak to a team at Seattle Sounders. We had a faith and family night and I was able to speak there. So, uh, different connections with athletes are great. Uh, haven't done a lot of coaching, just a little bit, but uh, overall, I would say that, you know, nothing ultimately really replaces it. And that's the thing yeah. about sport. It's your livelihood. It's your body. When it's gone, it's gone. But I will say being a pastor, it's, it's more fulfilling seeing lives changed and seeing people just uh, whether you want to call it an abundant life or whether you want to call it just full of hope or, you know, relationship with God, uh, but people, there's a turnaround. And when you see that, at the end of the day, that is so fulfilling because when we win, even we win like the Ivy League championship, I mean, I've got a ring and, and it's fun to talk about and the stories, but at the end of the day, uh, what matters most is uh, what helps people the most. And I get to do something now that uh, I get to see incredible fruit. And I'm just so glad to be a part of that. Yeah. And, and we all can touch people's lives based on where we've been and what we've experienced. And I think some of my a good friend of mine talks about, and he gets labeled as someone who collects relationships. And when you first hear that, you think, Ooh, that sounds so kind of harsh. He collects people. <laughs> but then yeah. when I stop and think about the word collecting, I collect stamps or I collect baseball cards or whatever you collect, you, you prize those, you value those, you cherish those. And so I'm a, I, based on that definition, I'm a relationship collector as well. Every relationship mm -hmm. matters deeply to me. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing at the podcast, why I yeah. work with family owned companies, and going back to your point of being in touch with an old coach, I'm still in regular communication with my old high school baseball coach. I have a group text with a bunch of my old high school. This was 1982 when I graduated from high school. It's great. And we're still texting yeah. each other. I've got guys yeah. that were on my team when I was a GM in baseball that I'm in touch with. I send them all birthday messages or happy father's mm -hmm. day to the whole text group and everything. And 
-hmm. those relationships are so important. So I think that it's important if I'm going to give advice for a second, uh, which nobody is listening to this for my advice, but I'm going to give it anyway. And that is to just, you know, if, if you can't do what you love doing anymore, find things that, that are close to it, that represent it. You satisfy that competitive itch by right. doing other things that maybe aren't as competitive, but they release the same endorphin. Getting yeah. up on a Sunday morning to get up and give a message is yeah. probably more exciting to you now than a, playing soccer in the Ivy League championship game. Mm. So yeah. how do you use that skill set that you have that, that mentality or that discipline to get to the Ivy League championship in your life today? Yeah. We like your advice, by the way, Ed. Keep it coming. Unsolicited. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's great. Uh, I'd say, you know, athletes have a mindset towards habits and towards progress, towards goals. And I think whether it's in the business world or even in faith, you know, for me, one habit is I started reading the Bible, you know, 30 years ago, almost uh, three chapters a day. And uh, that's just one of those habits that it grounds me. It, it just, there's a solid foundation there. And I try to live that out. Uh, so that is one thing. Um, I, I just believe that whatever you do, you should do it with all your heart. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with soccer, I poured everything into that. And then I was just like, well, why would I do any less in a different area? And I, I think in, no matter what area you're in, I, I think doing things with authenticity, doing things, thinking about a team, uh, we have teams, you know, right now, I'm so thankful for a guy named Joel who set all this up. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know how the speaker and microphone and computer yeah. and programs like, I don't know it like he knows it, but I get to be part of a team. And when, when you're doing things with the team mindset, and uh, you've got some goals, and you're chasing after those together. I mean, it's just fun. It, it's fun to be on a team that, uh, you know, alone, you can't do it. But together, uh, we're going to go further. And uh, I, I enjoy what I do. I wake up every day excited, just uh, stuff like this, conversations yeah. like this, meet new people. So me too, me too. Somebody asked me why I do podcasts. And this is why conversations like this, this is a, this is 100% why I do this. It, awesome. If money comes or if whatever else comes, I don't care. I mean, it's nice yeah. to monetize it. But I mean, really, at the end of the day, just genuine conversations with people and that I get to record and that hopefully my kids and grandkids will listen to someday. And yeah. yeah, and that would be great. All right. Word association. Great. I promised I was going to do this with you a little bit. I already did it with the word soccer. Okay. I'm going to throw three more words at you that are on your website. Okay. And I'm just going to say them in backwards order. This was the last one I saw, but I want to start with it. Adoption. Wow. It is one of uh, the most difficult things. It's not for everyone. I think adoption stories are healing stories, but at the same time, I'm so grateful we were able to adopt a boy and also, I encourage people to consider it because there are so many kids. We don't need a foster care system if, you know, people are willing to provide a forever home for a child. And I think some of the pain, again, the redemptive piece for me in seeing my parents no longer together, dad not there, is I so much want every child to be loved by parents. And uh, there's a lot of kids that need some love. Awesome. Thank you for that. I've got a story on that too, but we'll do that another day. Mm -hmm. Healing. Healing is something that takes time and healing is something that's far more than any kind of formula. I think it's far more than even self-help. Uh, I think the best healing comes through relationships and it's through relationships with other people and also a relationship with God. 
And I think that there's really no limits to how much healing we can receive. And especially for me, it's been in the emotional areas. It's been in the the soul, uh, those areas. Now, when it comes to physical healing, you know, you go Mm. see a doctor. Okay. That that's one area and that's a little more straightforward and it's medical, it's science, but then what about the emotional, the relational, the spiritual, and that's where um, I've experienced so much and I, I want people to experience it too. I think we need a lot of healing in our land. You know, I, I just look at tension. I look at um, things like racism and, and I, I love it when there's reconciliation and we love each other and we love our neighbor and we treat each other as equals and we serve one another. And we, we need a lot of healing in our land in many levels. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't think there's people around you that need to be healed, you're not paying attention. That's right. And oftentimes, you know, I have a mirror up above my computer just so I can test the lighting and so forth. And when I look in that mirror, I see the first person that needs healing. Yes. Every day. I mean, whether it's emotional or physical or, or whatever, financial, spiritual, relational. Right. Yes. I I don't need healing in all those areas literally every single day. Yeah. And I, for my life, there were two stories. There was what's on the outside, the success and the achievement. And then there's what's on the inside. And the outside was in a far better place than the inside. And Mm -hmm. on the inside, I didn't even really know where to go and what to do. So uh, discovering some of that help for the inside story, which I believe is a more important story. uh, That's where uh, I love to share that with people. Awesome. The last word I'm going to throw at you on, and you probably know because it's on your website, but uh, maybe not. People could throw website things at me that are on mine. And I go, hmm, I don't remember that. But, um, <laughs> um, and this is a big part. You asked earlier on before record, we recorded and we talked about it already a little bit. Who's listening today? Most of the people that are listening today are in a role of leadership at one point or another in their life, whether they're leading a, a Bible study group or leading a, a corporation or leading in their home or we're all in a leadership role. I teach a sports leadership program as well. Yeah. And uh, leadership means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So you, it means enough to you that it's on your website. So when mm-hmm. I say the word leadership, what comes mm-hmm. to mind? Yeah. The first phrase that came to mind was servant leadership. Mm-hmm. And, you know, why do we have an opportunity to lead? It's to serve people and bring out the best in people. So I think two questions you can ask frequently is just, how are you doing to the people around you? How are you doing? And then the second one is, what do you need? Uh, How can I help? How can I serve? And that empowers people. You're connecting with people and supporting people. And you care about people. Uh, I would say that my mind tends to go towards big picture and Mm -hmm. big vision. So those are good reminders for me to continue to ask those questions. But I think leadership, uh, a lot of times for me, it's it's really taking a mountain. And how are we going to do it? And I, I find great joy in the next mountain. And I, I think that when your purpose and your passion are connected, when um, what you care the most about is then something you're able to live out, and then you get to see lives change. When you live in that kind of your divine design, uh, wow, like you say, the money doesn't matter so much. Like, this is so good right here. And Leadership has a high cost. You got to be willing to pay that price. There's no question whether it's loneliness, sacrifice, the leader's got to set the example and the leader's got to walk the walk and talk the talk. And uh, that's something that's a responsibility. So you, you can't have just the benefits of leadership, but not 
uh, you know, some of those responsibilities. And I just think you say yes to both. And I think there's a lot of people who are leading and they don't even realize it. Another word for leading is just influencing and and you're influencing your family, you're influencing your friends, the social media, you might have hundreds of people that one post you're influencing. So don't compartmentalize leadership and think, oh, I'm not a leader. Uh, You're leading, you're influencing. Now it's just, how are you going to do it? And I think you can't go wrong with servant leadership. Absolutely. Ken Blanchard has a book and I was looking for it. I turned over and looked, it's, it's under the stack of books right here. Yeah. Servant, Servant leadership. If you don't have it, I'll send you a copy. It's the best. Great. Um, you talked about a leader a moment ago in, in the interview when we were on the relationships discussion. You didn't tell us his name and you don't need to tell us today if you don't want to. You talked about the old coach that you stay in touch with. Obviously a leader in your life. What is it about that coach that makes you want to stay in touch with him? Assuming it's a him. Yeah. And um, why would you consider him such a good leader? Great question. Yeah, I'll share his name. It's Bobby Clark. He was my coach uh, in college at Dartmouth, and he coached Stanford, Notre Dame, won a national championship. He's a professional player, played for Scotland and coached the New Zealand national team. So just you can Wikipedia find Bobby Clark. And, uh, you know, he created a culture. And I think that's what the best leaders do. They create a culture. And it was a culture where there was joy. There was honor. Uh, One of the phrases he, he would, you know, every day, ah, it's a great day. It's a great day, lads, you know, and, and every day was a great day to play soccer, to be together. Uh, even if it was snowing in New Hampshire, it was a great day. And then he would also say, ah, it's the wee things. It's the wee things. And he paid such close attention to doing the things right. When no one's looking, the little things, like you do them right. And we had a culture that felt professional. It felt like family. And it felt like, how do we get all this for a college coach? And when, when you have a real respect for the leader and the leader's doing things right and the leader sets that culture, like you just want to stay in that. You, you want to keep that relationship going. And, and I believe soccer was just a platform for life. Mm-hmm. And coach was teaching us so many things about life. And, and I think that whether you run a family business, whether it's a podcast, you know, whatever you're doing, that's just a platform for relationships, for growing, and for learning about life and setting the right culture. And that's what he did. And that's one reason why we stay in touch. Yeah. Awesome. You just described my high school baseball coach, Gene Martin, to a T, except mm. for the except for the accent. Other than okay, that, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. He didn't have that that I know of. But uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah. I could talk about Coach Martin all day long. That's and right. I do with a lot of people. Yes. What's the next big thing on your plate that you're looking forward to? Well, one thing that we've got going is uh, we've got about 100 churches in Seattle United, and that you'd think, and maybe some people are listening, and, and you know, church is the last place you even want to go. Maybe you had bad experiences, and those can run so deep, but it might sound simple to bring churches together and pastors together, but actually, uh, it, it's, it's becoming better, but sadly, in a lot of places, it's competitive, it's weird, it's distant, yeah. it's isolated, and I believe we need to unite. Uh, well, I think I'll interject just for a second too. And I see it today because there are churches that have been meeting in person and churches that are still meeting outside and churches not meeting at all within yeah. miles of each other where I live. And yeah. I attend one of those and I'm going to tell you which one it is. Yep. But um, I see it. I see that competitiveness may not be the right word. Maybe it is. Right. But there's definitely conflict. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. that's right. That's right. And so uh, to come together and care for each other, you know, like I just had a pastor 
text me and you know we just gave them some chairs because they're a new church and they need some chairs and he was asking hey do you think i could baptize someone at your church it's like okay let's talk about that you know just that spirit of collaboration right that in all fields is so important and then also with the digital we're seeing so many things open up and it used to be that i would just mainly be talking to the people in the room but now there's people from all nations and I'm building relationships with people in India and Pakistan and many countries and being able to uh, connect with them online. It's incredible right yeah. now. And so uh, trying to step into that realm and of course, in person's the best, uh, but there people are on their phones. That's where they are. And if you're going to people and now the world is more connected than ever before. And that's yeah. amazing. So I'd say enjoying people from other cultures, nations, backgrounds, different beliefs, those relationships are special and I'm seeing unity in our city and I'm seeing also a strong connection even globally right now. And, and I want to just keep going that direction. I don't know what it looks like. I'm learning a lot, yeah. kind of learning and leading, but we're seeing some incredible things happen. What did you see in Seattle during all this uh, up you know, this turmoil that we had during the election and so forth? I know that yeah. the news wants us to think that the whole city is on fire and it's not. Right, I have, right. I have nephews in Portland who never saw any of the stuff that we were seeing on the six o'clock news every night. Yeah. What's your perspective of what you saw. Yeah. I would say overall, probably tension is a word that comes to mind because I feel like people were more outspoken than maybe they usually are. So maybe on social media, they're sharing very strong opinions. I, I think uh, when there's a time of a lot of loss and trauma, and there's uh, a lot of things changing and in people's lifestyles aren't what they want it to be, whether that's should we reopen? How quickly should we wear masks? Should we not wear masks? Who did you vote for? You know, yeah. you, you name the topic. And it seemed like before COVID, I didn't know where some people stood. And then during COVID, yeah, it felt like everyone stands. is sharing. And it's like, okay, um, you just kind of want to put out some of those fires, especially on social media with comments. So I felt like yeah. there was more tension, but at the same time, uh, I also saw, uh, what I would say is like, uh, maybe even like, uh, coming together in a really positive way. For example, my neighbors with all of us being at home, uh, we got to know our neighbors mm -hmm. and so many deeper friendships, new friendships. And, there's just a real sense of community in our neighborhood. I mean, there's, there's a group of about 20 kids. Now they play outside, you know, and it, it, during COVID, we couldn't go into each other's homes. And, you know, it's a different way to play together. But these 20 kids, like their friendships are amazing. And parents too. And so I'd say overall tension, tricky, navigating through some things. Sure. But then in terms of different pockets, uh, just a great sense of community has been forming and strengthening. That's my favorite word. Well, relationships and community are my two favorites. And I love, I love breaking words up into what they mean. Common unity, community. Mm. You know, yes. We have something in common, so we should unify. Our nice. neighbors are all home. We're all in this together, but we're going through it differently. We all hear different phrases and so forth. So yeah, for me personally, yeah. I, I've gotten to know my neighbor. I live in a cul-de-sac of 12 houses and I haven't gotten to know them all, but Right. Kind of know some of them a lot better because of the fact that most of us are home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Feels good. It, it does. It does. Um, I'm looking, I, I told you I wasn't gonna look at my notes much. I have four questions left and I, I know the last two are going to stay the last two. The next two, I'm trying to figure out which order I'm going to go in. So I'll just say just something unique about you that, that may be very, not very few, not the old, you know, some tell me a deep dark secret type of question, but something unique about you or, or your heart or, or, 
your background or something that maybe is lesser known to your community using the word yeah uh, whether that's community is your home or your church or your neighborhood or what have you something just kind of yeah funny or whatever whatever right is. right you know I would say uh, the thing that came to my mind, it was kind of unique and wasn't planning on saying it, but I didn't actually uh, get my first car into, now I was starting to drive when I was 16, my parents had a car, but I didn't get my first car until late in my twenties. You say, well, what was going on there? And it was really a passion to not be in debt and mm -hmm. to finish graduate school without any debt. And because of that, you know, I worked part-time jobs. I tried to have a simplified budget. <laughs> But even through our church, we've been able to, like, this isn't a commercial, but Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey, yep, we've been able right. to see so many couples take that class yeah. and financial health in the home. And that takes a lot of strain off marriages. And, you know, being out of debt, there were things that I had some delayed gratification, but uh, in the end, it was worth it. So that, that might be something that's not too obvious, but I, I love it when couples are able to step out of that burden of debt. Hey, I'll tell you, I will do a commercial for Financial Peace University all day long. My wife and I took it at our church. We were a mess financially. And a lot of it was me because I'm, I'm a mess financially. I don't handle money very well. I don't, you know, I, I'm the nerd. I'm not the, what, what are the two that they talk about? There's the, yeah. the I, I can't pull the other one right now because I'm the nerd. I'm just in that, you know, I, I, I'm, oh, the free spirit. I'm yeah. the free spirit. I'm the one that just wants to not so much spend, but I don't watch the dollars like I should, but yes. Yeah. Yes. From since taking financial peace university and here is my plug for it unpaid um, is that, uh, and I love Dave Ramsey. You've got a lot of his books on the shelf behind me is that from there, we, we did go to the cash system. We don't spend what we don't have. And for the first time in our 28 year marriage, we just bought a house. We got out of debt. Nice. And we're buying a house, got our credit Great. score way up. We got our debt pretty much gone close to it. And um, yeah, we're buying a house. So Great. And that's a very much a plug for Financial Peace University, by the there way. There you go. I have no problem at all giving love where love is due. You got a sponsor um, for your podcast. Now. There you go. Hey, Dave Ramsey, if you're listening, let's go, man. Let's talk. That's right. Love that's to get right. him as a guest. All right. Um, all right. So that was the, what do you know? So Here's an opportunity now. You're a pastor, and uh, I hesitated whether I was going to have you do this, and I'm going to because I think that this whole discussion has been really obvious what your faith is and why your faith's important to you and how it's changed and gotten you through some of those dark rooms that we've talked about earlier today. Open form now for you to give a message to someone who's looking for some meaning in their life. Take it where you want to take it. Yeah. Ed, I would say that a lot of people are hurting. Uh, a lot of people have bad experiences at church. Seattle's the second highest de-churched city in the country. And uh, with those deep scars, there's a lot to overcome and there's a lot of healing there. Uh, what I would say is that uh, sometimes we have an image of God that isn't actually accurate, but it's been kind of warped and tainted by some different experiences that have been negative. And uh, for me personally, in college, you know, back at Dartmouth, there's, well, there's something Jesus said, how can, you know, what good is it if a man tries to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And on the outside, I had all these different pieces that were successful, you know, from friends to parties, relationships, to soccer and good grades, good school. I mean, just so many things, but on the inside, it just felt empty. And what, what I'd, you know, put it together in one word, I'd say the word grace, and that's an undeserved gift that you don't try to earn or perform 
or achieve to a level where God is then going to love you, or if you're good enough, you make it to heaven. That's just not how it works. And grace is a gift. God's love, his presence is a gift. And there's no greater gift, I believe, than Jesus. Now, C.S. Lewis said something. He's either, because Jesus, among many people in history, have claimed to be the Messiah. You know, Jim Jones was another one, mm -hmm. as, as whacked as that was. Uh, but when someone makes that claim, they're either liar, lunatic, or Lord. And they can only be one of three things. And what I would encourage anyone listening to do is just check out the evidence. That's where my mind went. What's the evidence? Faith isn't blind. What's the evidence? There is a resurrection. Then what's the evidence? If there's no resurrection, then Christianity's junk. So uh, I just started looking into the, the evidence and uh, with an open heart, open mind, it's still going to be a faith step, but kind of like a court case. Let's lay it all out. Let's mm -hmm. look at it. And then let's make a decision. And if you know, the most important things um, for eternity are tied to this decision, then it's worth some of my time and effort. And, and that's what I encourage anyone to do. And, and what I would say is that God is good, God loves you, and there's a relationship there. So that's probably, hmm. you know, as most direct as you can have on your podcast, but you, you gave it. me a little freedom and I'm just sharing well, no, from my heart. Yeah. And, and for those who, you know, I know a lot of you listening today, this is the furthest thing away from where you are today. And I get it. I totally get it. I've been there and I, I understand. And this isn't meant to push my beliefs or Jesse's beliefs on anybody. That's right. This is simply sharing what's in our heart. And that's the name of the podcast, From the Heart. Um, whatever inspires you. A lot of my friends say universe instead of God. A lot of my friends just talk about fate. And you know what? what yeah. And that's all great. Just recognize that there is a power out there that isn't you that is the power that we need to be searching for in our lives and, and to, to find that. And if you want to know more about that, you can reach out to me. You can, I can, I'm happy to share with you where I have gotten the belief system that I have. Um, if you want to reach Jesse Bradley, Jesse, what's the best way for people to reach you today? Yeah, I think going to the website, jessebradley.org and then social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Clubhouse. And <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Clubhouse is great. You know, we need to connect and it has conversations. It's a unique platform, but uh, I love to respond to people. So any of these topics today, if you want to reach out, love to hear from you. Well, stupid question. It's my, my final question. You knew it was coming because I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about changing my last question because it seems like this question gets asked through the entire interview every time, but I'm going to ask it anyway, as we wrap up today. And Jesse, thank you so much for taking time and for opening up your life to us and sharing your experiences and your lessons learned. And I think we're just scratching the tip of the iceberg because I know you're a, a lot more than just what we've talked about in the last hour. And I hope that there will be a part two, but as we wrap up today, I'll, I'll just finish with my last question, Jesse Bradley, what's in your heart? Thanks, Ed. I really enjoyed it. And I love that you're doing something that you enjoy so much and that you're chasing after this podcast, learning and just letting people share what's in their heart too. Uh, what I'd say is um, for people who are listening today that are maybe you know, working so hard and persevering and uh, just doing everything you can, when you run a business, there's so much pressure and you put in so many hours. And I guess what's on my heart and clothes is, is just uh, don't let it consume you. Uh, do what you need to do. But uh, don't uh, take for granted either the people around you, your family, in connecting and loving them. And don't let the business uh, throw the relationships, the family off. Don't give the business too much power. 
but stay close to those people. And then also, I would say, uh, you know, the quality of our life is tied to the quality of our relationships. So enjoy those relationships. And, uh, and there's a relationship with God that I think will surprise you in, in how much goodness and love there is. So enjoy those relationships. I'm a doer. So I'm speaking to doers, <laughs> yeah. you know, who like to take mountains and, and just say, all right, slow down the relationships. Cause at the end of the, of our lives, I don't think there's too many people and their final year, their final breath that are saying, I should have worked more. You know, I should have done a few more tasks, but I can't tell you, you know, how many people I talked to at the end of their lives saying I should have connected more. So that's what's on my heart to close. 